Blaze On Demand. This is Ben Weingarten of the Blaze Books, and today I'm joined by a man who needs no introduction, a prolific author of numerous books, including most recently, and the book we'll be talking about today, Take No Prisoners, The Battle Plan for Defeating the Left, as well as the founder of the David Horowitz Freedom Center, editor of Front Page Magazine, as well as for a number of other conservative organizations. David, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So the first question on this book, Take No Prisoners, is synthesize for us the two or three main points that you think all readers from grassroots activists to casual political observers on the right should walk away with. Uh, Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a game plan until you punch them in the mouth. Democrats have a massive punch for Republicans. Every election, every actually every minute of every hour of every day, they say Republicans are racists, they're women haters, they have contempt for, and uh, don't care about the poor, and they defend the rich. And that always puts Republicans on the defensive. They have no answer to it, none, they, they, absolutely none. And uh, part of my book um, goes over that and how they don't. Um, what's their counterpunch? They have none. They have no punch. So the first thing in, to defeat the left is to develop a punch. And the punch is to turn their guns around. The Democratic Party is the racist party. It's the party of slavery and segregation. And since the Civil Rights Acts abolished all racial categories, it has systematically reintroduced racial categories into every aspect of American life. Whether you get a job, if you uh, are applying to schools, some races have preferences over others. This is un-American, it's racist, and it's Democrat. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Democrats control every major city in America, and they have for 50 to 100 years. I mean, the prime examples, of course, are Detroit and Chicago. In these cities, not only is there violent crime, uh, just off-the-charts crime compared to the whole rest of the country, but a poverty that is permanent. It's, we call it the underclass. They have destroyed the lives of tens of millions of poor black and Hispanic children who they trap in public schools that don't teach them. And they won't let them out. They won't let them get uh, vouchers, uh, the freedom of choice to go to a school that will teach them. All the Democrats, however, send their kids to private schools. Uh, they talk about women. There are all these single, single women, single mothers on the Democrats' welfare program, which drives the ma the, any male out of the house and which provides them with incentives never to work again. And then another incentive is to have lots and lots of children because you get 200 bucks per kid. It's the most sinister evil system devised. So we have in this country, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, um, but 47 million food stamps. And you have 93 people, million people out of the workforce. These are not all needy people. These are people who have been incentivized by the Democrats not to work. It's a disgusting, 
life-killing policy that Democrats have. But Republicans are too polite to mention it. And that's why they lose. And and to that end, and taking sort of a more abstract step back on this, your argument is effectively that Republicans have not effectively fought or even fought at all when it comes to the narrative that the Democrats have created and used to exploit Republicans for decades at this point. Now, part of that, and part of the reason the left has been so effective, as I'm sure you would agree, is their dominance in media, academia, and all of the other primary cultural institutions in this country. So my question is, obviously we need to fight and win political battles, but is there not also a concurrent cultural battle that needs to be fought, or is there some interplay between the two? Well, I think the cultural battle is much much more fixed. Um, you know, how people feel about gay marriage, how they feel about uh, whatever, copulation out of wedlock. These are complicated issues, and they shouldn't political arena at all. That's my view. I, I like to take those social issues off the political agenda. We're losing our country. Um, and the battle is an emotional battle. And the, the Democrats' battering ram is race. And the Republicans have to fight back by shoving the race issue in their face and shutting them up. How do they explain these inner cities? They're going to blame it on a Republican in sight. Um, Detroit is the perfect example. The richest industrial city in America in 1961 per capita. And that's the year they elected a Democrat mayor. And for the next 50 years, the Democrats had a monopoly. It wasn't a Republican in sight. And what the Democrats did without Republicans is they instituted their draconian anti-business policy business out of Detroit. They uh, uh, elected uh, Coleman Young. He was mayor for 20 years. He was a Democrat and a member, member of the Communist Party and a rank racist. And the racist attitudes of the Democrats drove the white middle class out because they felt they weren't welcome anymore, and that was the tax base. Um, And so, of course, Detroit is now bankrupt. Two-thirds of its population have fled. It's the poorest industrial city in America. Um, And 85% of its population is African-American. These African-Americans are condemned to poverty and violence and, and, and and a city that looks like it's bombed out by Democrats. And if that isn't racism, I don't know what it is. But I've never heard a Republican refer to a Democrat as a racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, politics, but politics is not about Republicans think politics is about policy. Paul Ryan is, you know, he got them to pass a, a budget which has drastic cuts. This is the height of political stupidity. Stupid, stupid, stupid. You're going to make cuts, you make the cuts. You don't telegraph it. You don't do it when you're a minority party. You have to win the White House. Uh, well, he's cut uh, like uh, the Legal Services Corporation, $420 million. Well, maybe it does deserve to be cut. Who knows? But the fact is, what does legal services do? It provides legal services to poor people who can't afford it. So you lose the, 
vote the poor vote. You lose the vote of the advocates of the poor. And you lose the vote of all those middle-class Americans who are charitable towards the unfortunate. It's mind-bogglingly stupid by a guy who's supposed to be the smartest guy in the Republican Party and passed by the whole House. That's what's wrong with the Republican Party. They, they, they think that it's all about, uh, you know, uh, uh, an academic debate. You know, we, we have a really good policy. Look at the policy. They don't look at the policy. They're attacking you as racist before you open your mouth and nobody's listening. And to that end, there are a couple, I think, really profound insights in the book. You mentioned that the Republican Party is guided by a business mentality, whereas the left mentality is missionary. And you also say... Right, that and uh, of course the Tea Party is more missionary. And I, I, I have a chapter about the Tea Party and the Republican Party. Uh, can this marriage work? And I think it can. I think that it's a matter of organizing. And when you get a critical mass, uh, you, you can change everybody. Every politician well, has his finger in the wind. And, and you also, you argue that, and, and this makes a lot of sense politically, the left, despite having its, you know, quote-unquote extreme wing, although you would agree, I'm sure, and I think you write in your book, that the left has basically been taken over by the progressives, as was laid out in the 80s and even before then. The Democratic um, Party has been taken over by the left. Yes. And progressives and, is just, this is, all these progressives is just another word for communist. And, but what, and is a progr- what is a progressive? A progressive is somebody who believes that history is on a forward march. You have to be out of your mind to think that. But anyway, they do. And they think that it's, uh, you know, the world is becoming a more humane and better place. And they want to advance that until they get to the point where there's social justice and everybody is equal and taken care of. It's a complete communist vision. It's killed hundreds of millions of people in the country and left whole continents uh, uh, ruined uh, and in poverty. Yet they never learn. If they learned, they wouldn't be introducing socialist medicine in, in Obamacare, would they? Because it's failed everywhere. And it's an offense to anybody who cares about individual freedom. Why aren't they talking freedom when they talk Obamacare? Obamacare is unprecedented. And and John Roberts will rot in hell for that decision he made calling it constitutional. It's uh it, it says you can't you can't choose your doctor and your health care. We're going to make up the packages for you. And you're going to, you only get four packages. And, of course, someday it's going to be one when they get single payer, which means the government controls everything. And uh, young people to get very expensive packages so they can subsidize old people who really need the health care. And for old people, we're going to, I don't know why they do this, actually, but then you're going to have to... You have Medicare, maternity care, people beyond child-rearing age. And uh, then they say, well, if you've earned uh, any money and played by the rules, we're going to stick our hands in your pockets. We're going to take out the chunk of change there, 
and we're going to give it to some shiftless, lazy criminal who can't afford the the health care. That's that that's what's going on. It's just it's un- unbelievable. Dennis Miller was very good on O'Reilly's talking about the difference between the seedy and the needy. You can't tell me. There are 93 million people out of the workforce. You can't tell me all those people are, are people in need. They're lazy. They don't want to work because they're getting too many freebies from the government and they're fundamentally lazy. That, that's where we are in America. Our freedom is almost gone. Now, politically, if you were to make that argument that a large percentage of Americans are lazy, I think you would agree that's probably a losing argument. So how do you win over those? Yeah, you can't do it that way. Um, You can't do it that way. You have to do a little research and find out the truth. Um, uh, The truth will, will knock you on your bottom. No, we know there's 93 million people out of there's 47 million people taking food stamps. What percentage of those people can't work? What percentage? 10 percent, 90 percent. You know, I happen to know a lot of people who are shiftless and lazy, um, and they have no incentive to work. They get a free apartment. They get $1,600 stipend. They get free food, free everything. Um, and you ask them, and then they're, and they ha- they're in work training programs because the Republicans inserted that. But then you ask them, are you going to work? What, are you crazy? I lose all this that I have. Adam Carolla is terrific on this. His mother was a welfare mother. And she remained in the same house, and she never made anything of herself. Whereas Adam, you know, became a carpenter, and then he knew he was funny, and now he's a multimillionaire. That's a good American story. His mother's story is a Democrat story. Mm -hmm. The big problem is Republicans don't want to go in the face of Democrats. Um, there are ways to do it. You can't do it the way I do it. And t- you know, you can't. If you talk like me, you're you're right. You'll be marginalized. But there, are, you know, politics is an art, and there are ways to zing them. Yeah. So, but Republicans don't want to do it. But I yeah. do think, in the first instance, you have to hit them in the mouth and throw the inner cities at them. They're all Democrat, and the poverty is on the heads of the Democrat. And the fact that they're black and Hispanic suggests the Democratic Party, which is a party of racial preferences, is a racist party. I think think there should be people saying that. I mean, Louis Gohmert could say that. You know, the guy who's running for president can't yet say that. Now, Saul Alinsky would say the consequence of a constructive argument is a constructive alternative, paraphrasing him. So let's say that that argument is advanced and you have articulate and credible people who make the case that progressivism is incredibly destructive and hurting the very people that it proposes. They say they're the enemies of the poor and the enemies of blacks. They've kept them in poverty. 
So then once you hit that point, how, and and it, it shouldn't even have to be a question, but it is, how do you frame a system of negative governmental powers and freedom as being a pro everyone agenda where the left will say that it's actually for keeping people down and it's an oppressive system? No, it isn't. Well, you know, it's true. There are people who can't, uh, can't hack it. What you want to do is you want to free up the free enterprise system and provide a safety net. I, I don't know any Republican or conservative who's against a safety net, but it should be a safety net. It shouldn't be a, uh, um, you know, something that sucks people into indolence, which is what it is now. That's Obama. I mean, uh, the Republicans have put in work programs and get people off welfare. Welfare should be a two-year affair. You know, unemployment insurance should be six months. In your view, do you think that the Tea Party, and that you write in the book, really, that they differ in terms of tactics and temperament, but not policy and ideology? What about on the issue of of immigration? No, it's, you know, McConnell's making deals. um, And the Tea Party knows that any deal is a bad deal when you're dealing with the Obamaites. Um, but I don't think that Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, by the way, is a very, very smart man. I don't think Mitch McConnell doesn't understand the border issues. I think he's just a pragmatic politician, and he thinks the Democrats are very powerful. But that pragmatism could ultimately lead to permanent could dem- be, majority in the could country. Be di- yes, it could be disastrous. Yes. It could lead to very bad bills, the bills that um, increase Democrat power. So he needs to be opposed. I just think everybody should keep in mind that this is pretty well a conservative party in its principles. You know, I'm shocked by Eric Cantor. I'm happy he was retired. He's a very, very bright guy, and, you know, he's very conservative. But he got sucked into the Washington mentality of deal-making. And they think if they make the deals, they'll get more popular. I think they get more popular if they start talking like champions of freedom and of the underdog. If they were to champion the poor black kids in those inner cities and their mothers and do it in a sincere way, I agree, you can't come in from 30,000 feet. Just find ways to do it, to champion the underdogs in our society. They would destroy the Democratic Party. Well, to that end, Rand Paul would argue that he is championing those very... I think he's starting. He's doing it on a policy basis. Mine is an ideological basis. Mine is an emotional basis. I think what he's done is good. The outreach he's made is good. But, you know, it's on bad drug policy. And that's fine. But it's... Republicans don't have an overall vision. The vision has got to be freeing individuals, a system of individual freedom, something with an emotional dimension. And and I don't hear that. That's what it's got to be. And and you still think a majority of the country is receptive to that vision? Absolutely. Americans want to be free. Americans don't know what, what Obamacare has done to them yet. 
Now, I want to talk about foreign policy a little bit, and this is sort of tangentially related to your book. Uh, in, in your view, is the neocon ideology, and by neocon, I don't mean that in the pejorative, well, it's a, you know, it's the Israel lobby, and it's Jews promulgating foreign policy. I mean, spreading freedom to the Middle East. In your view, is freedom compatible with Islam? No. Islam is a totalitarian ideology, and no Muslim country will be free. So what is the policy that should follow from that if you look at the Middle East today where you have sectarians? We should have gone into Iraq. That was correct. And occupied it. And uh, set up a government that was uh, not going to be terrorist, that made some kind of arrangement. It was the British who screwed it up. There's too many nationalities and sects. You know, maybe a division of Iraq was right, but the United States should have just run it as a military occupation, and we should have gone into Syria and settled the hash of Assad at the same time and restored democracy to Lebanon. Um, in that sense, uh, you know, that's what we should have done. I don't think we should have spent a lot of time. First of all, I don't think we should have turned the government over to Malaki and the, and the uh, Iraqis. They're incapable of running a decent government. Um, but Amer- America doesn't have the the will to be an imperial power. And it needs it. Or it needed it. Now, now we're in really bad, bad way. You know, so Bo- George, you- Bo- George Bush set out after 9-11 to deny any there should be no country that harbored terrorists. Okay, now, uh, thanks thanks to the fecklessness of Bush and the evil uh, treason of the Democratic Party, we now have Iraq as a, a terrorist state. Uh, Afghanistan will shortly be a terrorist state. Um, Tunisia is a terrorist state. Uh, of course, the West Bank and Gaza are both terrorist states. Syria is a terrorist state. Um, uh, Mali is a terrorist state. And then there are the terrorist state supporters, Qatar and Turkey. I could go on and on. It's unbelievable how terrorism has spread and become legitimate um, after Bush's claim. And it's all, because, in my view, 100% because of the Democrats and their sabotage and betrayal of the Iraq war. So if you were inheriting the situation in 2016, and I imagine it will likely be worse by that time because, and this is obviously all hypothetical, but you can imagine Iran being a nuclear state by that time. Uh, you can imagine Israel's position being further imperiled. You can imagine an Iraq that's purely an Iranian client state. Turkey growing ever more militaristic and ambitious. Uh, if you're inheriting that, what should America's foreign policy be? Well, I think we have to rearm. We need to secure our borders. We need to kick a lot of illegals out. All the criminals, for example, and there's a huge contingent of them. And uh, maybe make some kind of a citizenship process for the others. But we need, you know, if we have to have a, um, a, an electric fence, 
3,000 miles long, we should have it. Um, we need to educate our people on the threat from Islam. I don't even say radical Islam anymore because these guys have taken over Islam. When I see a moderate Islamic country uh, stand up to them, I'll be impressed and I'll, I'll change my rhetoric. Um, I think Israel needs to occupy the West Bank and expel the Arabs. And Gaza, maybe Gaza as well. Just send them all, give them to Jordan. I think the Jews, the Jews made a series of mistakes. In 1948, they should have expelled all the Arabs who attacked them. That was an aggression. When you commit an aggression, you lose your rights. In 1967, they should have expelled all the Arabs from the West Bank and annexed it. And that Jews are stupid, and they, you know they're always trying to show they're superior to other people and more generous, and that is, gets them into trouble. That's why they go up on crosses. Or related question to that: At this point, is there any difference between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism? None. Yeah, look. If you had one, there's one black state in the entire world, one black nation, and it's a democracy. And it's a tolerant democracy. And uh, it's surrounded by neighbors who want to destroy it because they're blacks and call them apes and pigs. Come on. Who's going to uh, say, oh, well, they're just trying to destroy the state. That doesn't make them racist. There is nobody who will say that. On the domestic front, one last question. Uh, in your view... Is the Tea Party label itself a political liability? Why? Well, here would be the, the hypothesis behind it. Already the left has done such a good job caricaturing Tea Look, Party. The left people. has to be crushed. You can't you can't you can't um flinch before the left and let them determine your politics. The left has to be crushed. The right isn't talking about the left the way it should. These are anti-American communists. They're out to destroy the country. That's who they are. They're an evil force. You don't hear conservatives talking like that. You know? It's a matter of critical mass. You know, who would have thought that uh, you could make Hamas, you got... Nancy Pelosi calling Hamas a humanitarian organization, and you have the whole left supporting these Hitlerites, is what they are. The whole left. You know, I kind of think, try to think back when I was in the left. I, I don't think stayed in the left and supported Hamas, or the Palestinians for that matter. This is an evil people as well. You know, through all human history, people have been oppressed, but never as a people, strap bombs onto its little children, send them to blow up other children, and tell them that if they're lucky enough to be male, they're going to go to heaven and get 72 virgins. It's a sick, sick culture. And it supports 100%, and certainly in the Gaza Strip, but also in the West Bank. Evil Nazi terrorists. I never would have dreamed that the left would be supporting this crap, but they do. And that is if you keep it up, you, you know, you keep the drumbeat up, you go from being a small minority embattled 
Uh, I think Tea Party, by the way, is a very good name. But you call and battle party. All the left knows how to do is call names. The Ed Schultzes, uh, or there's the sneers from the Rachel Maddows, but the Ed Schultzes and the Chris Hayes, they just find something, um, you know, to pin on you that's demeaning. That's their argument. They don't have an argument. You can't be intimidated by that. The name of the book is Take No Prisoners, The Battle Plan for Defeating the Left, and the author is David Horowitz. David, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much.